Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, tackling the biggest debates in the world of television. This week, we welcome Zinc's London Director of Television, Greg Sanderson, and freelance writer-director, Sophie Bernberg, to talk being LGBTQ plus in TV. Sophie and Greg reflect on progress made on and off screen, areas for improvement, and we broach the Love Island sexuality debate. All that, plus the ever popular What We've Been Watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So today we welcome Sophie Bernberg and Greg Sanderson to discuss LGBTQ plus representation in TV. It's a pleasure to have the two of you on. Thanks so much. So just by way of introduction, uh, Greg Sanderson is the director of Zinc Media's London TV labels. He oversees Blakeway, Films of Record, Brook Lapping and Reef. Uh, Greg is a former exec producer on the Storyville Strand and has overseen numerous factual shows over the years. Uh, And Greg also wrote a comment piece for us back in November entitled Don't Forget TV's LGBTQ plus community. Sophie Bernberg is a freelance writer-director who has written, directed, and produced a number of short films and is also the director of Queering Public Space, which is available on YouTube. She is currently writing a queer TV comedy drama and most recently penned a comment piece for broadcast entitled It's Time to Truly Welcome the LGBTQ Plus Community, which laid out some of the issues that we're going to speak about today. Uh, And both of those comment pieces are really well worth a read uh, if listeners haven't got around to to reading them already. Uh, So welcome to the two of you. I first uh, just wanted wanted to ask you how you've got to where you've got to, really. Um, So Sophie, maybe if you want to go first. So I basically um, always really wanted to direct films. (laughs) When I was kind of like younger, I was into drama and directed plays at school and things like that. And then before I went to university I was kind of like thinking you know do I go to film school or um you know do I do an English lit degree because I'm also like a writer a screenwriter as well um and I decided to do English lit and then I thought you know I could always do film school afterwards and so then after graduating I basically got work experience at a production company in Soho and was just doing that like picking up stuff really enjoying it kind of like you know just took my camera along to stuff and and made little like content films or whatever that's really how I just got into directing just just doing it myself and I did do short film courses as well but yeah that's how I that's how I got into that great and and how about yourself Greg uh mine sounds a lot less purposeful than Sophie's um, <laughs> in that I weirdly actually I was a professional singer before I got into telly and I was getting tired of that life and trying to work out what the hell I wanted to do and met <clears throat> a fabulous producer called Kate Solomon at uh, my sister's house party and she started talking about what she did, and I thought that sounds cool. Um, and her boss was Malcolm Brinkworth at Touch Productions at that point. And um, she said, you should meet Malcolm, and he offered me a traineeship. So I fell into TV completely accidentally, have no qualifications in it whatsoever. Um, so then I worked at Touch for a couple of years, stayed in the West Country, went and worked at Flashback TV with Sam Morgan, um, and then went in-house at the BBC. And then somehow, I'm never quite sure how this happened, ended up stepping over to Storyville. As commissioner um, and then had 10 years of commissioning so they moved into arts commissioning arts music commissioning and then five years ago thought time for change and shifted into the indie sector and that's how i ended up at sync initially running book lapping and now uh, as you say sitting across the london labels also including super collider by the way recently launched don't forget ah uh, 
Missed off Super Glider. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, that's really good introductions. Uh, so, so Sophie, I wanted to start with you actually um, to, to, to talk a little bit about your comment piece for us. And, and one of the things it, it, it discussed was the need for TV to better portray queer spaces. Um, can you elaborate a bit on, on what you meant? It's really important to have those spaces because then people who aren't queer are able to kind of, you know, see how queer, queer people live. The point of TV is to, is to open up new worlds, right? And I think I agree with Sophie that the, um, <clears throat> the benefit of showing more queer spaces on TV is that you're is stopping otherizing, sorry, horrible word, but it, it makes people realize that just because of who we fancy or who we have sex with not necessarily different and sort of can, can demythologize, I guess, is, the, is what you can do. In, and that's what TV does at its best in all areas. I don't know if you agree with that, Sophie. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and by seeing, you know, like seeing people live as they are and showing them like authentically, I think that's also really good because, you know, you're not demonizing people. No um, big broad question here, but um, what, what would um, either one of you say is the kind of current state of play with on-screen LGBTQ representation uh, in, in the UK specifically, I'd say? I, it's really hard to generalize, right? And since I wrote that piece, um, It's a Sin came out and was massive and did a massive job of on-screen representation. But I just have the slight feeling, and I think that came across in my piece, that it, it feels a bit sort of tokenistic. And I think that's a danger of all representation, actually. I think once you feel you have to represent something, you, you know, I know the commissioning mindset is, God, we must get something that does that. It's not yet ingrained in the culture, I don't think, of TV, that, you know, actually, the best way to do it is not think about sexuality, but particularly, but just, just cast a diverse range of people and sexuality will come into it. But I think at the moment, and I wrote this in the piece, and it's absolutely no offence to... Steve Perkins or Claire Balding or Graham, they're all fantastic at what they do. But it's sort of, it tends to be, right, okay, we've got, excellent, we've got, we've got Sue's on screen, that's our lesbian creation covered. And then they sort of don't think about it anymore. And I think that, you know, that's probably a bit unfair in some cases, but that's, that can be how it feels. And I think when you, that's what comes across when you watch. Mm. Do you think, because it's, it's been six months since you wrote that piece for us and, and, there is, of course, we've discussed on this podcast many times this uh, enormous diversity push that, that is taking place at the moment and has been taking place for like the past year. So have you, bar it's a sin, which I think we'll talk about a bit later, have you seen other signs of improvement in this way? Um, not particularly, but obviously TV is a slow process, so I wouldn't expect to. What I can say is I had quite a lot of reaching out from various people across the industry after that piece saying, thanks, that sort of reminded us. Mm. And some defensively saying, of course, we thought about it. We just haven't said it so much, but that's what you'd expect. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I think it's a, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky circle to square or square to circle. I don't think it's a, an easy, there's one easy solution. I think what I was trying to do is just remind people that, you know, we, LGBTQ plus was not really part of any of the diversity dialogue that I saw over that whole diversity push. And I think it was really important that it should be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I was going to bring up because what one of the things that you mentioned, Greg, was about um, we'd been writing quite a bit about the BBC's inclusion policy at the time, um, and now the BBC has these targets. So twenty percent people behind the camera uh, have to either be uh, BAME uh, or from a working class background uh, or be disabled. But you kind of highlighted the fact that LGBTQ plus wasn't included uh, in this policy. Um, I don't know if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Like, do do you think that is something that should be included? Um, or do you, is, is it a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more complicated than that? Um, I think that's a tricky one. I mean, personally, I don't massively believe in quotas anyway. I mm -hmm. think it needs cultural change rather than quotas. And I think they're a really blunt instrument. So I'm not sure I would 
go with that. But I, I, I don't understand the rationale for some protected categories being included and some not. I feel like if you're including protected categories, then all of them should be included. And if you're doing it on a sort of percentage of population basis, which that claims to be, then I don't see why it shouldn't be. Yeah, no, I think I think it was um, it, sh- it shouldn't have been left off. And I think I, if that was an oversight, you know, maybe it just um, reflects the fact that maybe like, you know, behind the scenes, there aren't as many queer people. Um, you know, because if you had queer people there who were like making those, then they would say, oh, you know, LGBTQIA plus, you know, people. Um, it, yeah, I think it reflected a, something that a, a brilliant head of diversity once said to me, and she's a fantastic person. Uh, and I was like, oh, you've got a diversity fund. Can I apply for that? And she's like, not really. If it doesn't show, it doesn't count. Um, to which I responded, should I wear a gay badge? Um, mm. and it, sort of, it sort of reflects that kind of, and I think we'll come on to this, but like reflects that sense of you're fine now, you can get married, you're out in the open, do we have to worry about you? And which is a really basically ignorant way of understanding what life is like in the community. Yeah. And also showing that, you know, that they that, that people think that there has there's one particular way to be gay or be queer that's very stereotypical, I think. Kind of off the back of that, um, it's often kind of perceived, I think, in TV that it has this kind of like liberal pass say that it kind of gets away with it without having to do too much more because um, there's on-screen representation and there's um, gay people behind the camera. But would you agree that like it's kind of made people not try as hard in this one area? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I get most often is that everyone in TV is gay. What's the problem? <clears throat> Actually, not remotely true in factual TV. It's, it's still a tiny proportion. But there absolutely is that perception of kind of like, you know, it's a it's a very liberal probably higher proportion of gay, straight, queer people in it than some industries, therefore it's fine. Um, so yeah, I think people do absolutely give themselves a liberal pass. And actually, it, as I say, it comes from not really understanding, you know, there's still plenty of people that are persecuted for their sexuality in this country and people are still beaten up every day. Um, and I think, because that's frankly, the mainstream media doesn't report that that much. I think there's a kind of complacency. So you're kind of like, well, I guess the makeup of our staff is kind of fine. We're probably doing it. I think there is a slight a bit of laziness around that thought and I think that does exist yeah I wondered if the the two of you do you feel like you've experienced quite a lot of prejudice over the years uh, I don't know whether there have been sort of specific examples um or maybe more more generalized like microaggressions like is, is that something that, that you felt on a day-to-day basis so I haven't actually but you know I've kind of like known people who have so it is a thing sometimes on set it's quite an you know intense environment and you know if if that kind of thing happens then like who do you report it to there's often not anyone to mm. report it to as well mm. um i think i have though i think most of it's been <clears throat> inadvertent rather than deliberate i don't mm. i can't think of many deliberate cases where you know it's been sort of weaponized um but i mean there was one famous channel controller meeting and i won't name any names obviously uh which had been between bbc radio and bbc tv and it was unusual that they should be working in concert frankly um, and at the end, the channel controller said, oh, let's all hold hands and like, sink and way up. Oh, no, that would be gay. I actually just said, and what would be the problem with that? But, you know, things like that, where you sometimes see the inbuilt prejudice. And maybe that's just a schoolyard use of a term, but I don't think it's one that should be used in the corridors of the BBC. And similarly, just moments, you know, I went for dinner with some really good friends at the BBC once, and they sort of just started, they got fascinated by the practicalities of gay sex. And I was basically quizzed for about an hour on it. Um, I don't object to that because it's friends, but it's, that kind of thing is, is absolutely the... the otherizing or whatever mm. that, um, that I think should probably be avoided. I mean, in, in that case, I didn't mind, as I say, because they're friends, but it, that sort of thing does happen quite a lot. Do you feel like safe and supported by 
the industry or like by the broadcasters or when you're working on a sh- on on set do you feel um you were talking before obviously about h- how much um violence and kind of hate crimes are directed do, do you feel like though there's that those people around you that could maybe step in if anything came up or or do you feel like you're kind of al- alone in that well in that particular case of the the channel controller meeting actually my boss at the time stepped in and made a formal complaint so I definitely felt supported then although also you know caused quite a lot of hassle and I'd prefer that not to have happened um I don't know it's, it's that's a tricky conundrum because you also don't want to feel patronized or like you can't look after yourself so it's, it's not something you sort of seek out but actually I, I yeah I, I've always found tv once you're within an organization or a company to be a really supportive place I'm lucky I've avoided most of the horrible politics and everything else so yeah, I would say I generally have done. I'd say as a freelancer, actually, I think it's a lot harder because as a freelancer, you're relying on people getting you jobs and being friendly to them and then they'll get you on another job. So it's like if you were to say something um, about a producer or a member of crew, you know, like the consequences to your career can be quite bad. And, you know, like Greg was saying before, like, you know, I think there is a bit of a liberal pass with with people thinking that it's all okay like like you know we've got rights in this country so therefore we're all okay and maybe you know like I think maybe people don't think that they can really step forward and say something if if something was going to happen yeah and I think I should say you know I've been lucky I've been relatively senior in the industry for quite a while so um I'm less likely to experience prejudice and um less likely to be Sort of hit with it whereas certainly I think low in the industry particularly in freelancers Sophie says where you're utterly dependent on the people above you for your job really hard to speak out and say yeah. you know it's, a, it's a, a structural problem right with how the industry works but um, yeah I mean it would be impossible I think if you were uncomfortable with the tone of voice of an exec when you were a researcher then it would be really really bloody hard to say anything about it exactly mm-hmm. and there's so much talk about this at the moment isn't there um, especially uh, especially with regards freelancers. Is that something that you feel like is improving, Sophie? Or has it sort of like plateaued out? It's improving in the sense that I think that like when I started in the industry, it was quite hard as a young woman. I don't know. I think, you know, like being taken seriously was, mm. you know, mm. it's quite it's quite difficult. Um, but I think that it is getting better because people are talking about the fact that it's not okay to talk to a person like this or you know whatever like because it's being talked about more people in the back of their heads you know friends of mine are thinking oh like you know I actually can't say this or I can't act like this because if I do there'll be consequences whereas you know kind of like however many years ago there weren't those consequences. I mean I think I do I think there are improvements here I mean it's not doing a puff piece for zinc but you know we've had I've worked really hard and it's helpful because they've got me as MD and Emma Hindley as a creative director, you know, two fairly prominent um, career people in the industry. Um, that when researchers have felt uncomfortable with other members of the team and how they speak, and it's normally speaking out of ignorance, right, about not knowing the correct terminology and not knowing that it's offensive because, I mean, God, it's hard enough for us to keep up with the terminology and be correct. Um, the people have felt that they can say it, actually, and they don't, they either say it to the exact faces or they say it to me and I say it back to them and actually... They, you know, we've realised there aren't ramifications. Actually, everyone's normally mortified and go, "God, sorry, I've messed that up." Um, so I think I think those kind of feedback loops, and I'm sure that's true in other companies as well, are, are getting better. I think probably harder on specific productions. Again, as, as Sophie was saying, as freelancer, I think it's much much harder to do that. But when you're 
staff, you know, certain development team, it's a bit easier. Sophie, in your piece, you talked, which I found really interesting, you talked about um, kind of other departments being included in this decision to, or have training, say, and an awareness um, in order to improve representation, but also avoid stereotypes. So you mentioned kind of production design and location. Um, and I thought it's quite interesting. I wondered if you could elaborate on that just a little bit more. I think like with um, with when you're making a program like about queer people, it's important to either have queer people, you know, behind the scenes who actually have that lived experience or it's, you know, ideally, you know, like if, if there was like some training or, or something because um, those worlds that we kind of like portray well, they're kind of hidden, aren't they, to some people, as you were saying earlier on about the lack of yeah. experiences. You know, so if you have a straight production designer trying to design a gay club, you're quite likely to resort to stereotypes. Exactly. Um, which I think, coming back to it, it's a scene is why that was so brilliant, because the crew were all, I think, entirely or largely um, LGBTQ as well. And plus, sorry. Um, and that really shone through, because the authenticity of that, I think, is what grabbed people. And it, and it, it just was noticeably different from... The show, I, I mean, can't prove a negative, but I think it's noticeably different from a show that didn't, wouldn't have had that. Completely, because it's almost like, you know, that in It's a Sin, for example, like their apartment was a character in itself, you know, throughout the show that, you know, evolved. And I think you can tell that it's, it's you know, that it's authentic and it has been made like that. And weirdly, the only character I think he didn't quite work as well as the others was the straight woman. Um, yeah, because, uh, she didn't <laughs> have any The experience wasn't, wasn't lived. Yeah. Exactly. And there's also been, uh, move, moving from kind of drama to reality, uh, a big debate that's really raging at the moment um, within our industry is, is that of reality shows and, and whether they should have um, uh, same-sex couples or, or, or couples from across the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, so this comes from some comments made by an ITV commissioner a couple of weeks ago about Love Island. Um, which were picked up uh, sort of across the board by the, the national newspapers where she described logistical difficulties uh, in having non-heterosexual couples on Love Island or non-heterosexual contestants. Um, and uh, Hannah wrote a piece earlier this, this week about a new Channel 4 show, Five Dates a Week, which is opening up, so sort of doing the reverse, opening up that show uh, to people of, of uh, various sexual orientations. So I, so I wondered what you guys thought about this really maybe maybe you greg first should, should um lgbtq plus couples be allowed to appear on love island or is itv's approach kind of fair to this i mean i don't believe that <clears throat> i totally see how it could make the format more complicated you know the my tv brain goes oh god how would you do that um mm. with love island but then i think you know, it's a creative industry and people should be able to find ways around it and really, I guess the question of this is what was the intent behind that comment? Was it surely a practical, resistible one or was actually a, it's not going to work so well for the ITV2 audience, so we don't want to do it? And it's very hard to discern that, frankly. Mm. But it shouldn't be impossible. <clears throat> I don't think it should be done sometimes for the sake of it. So I, I, was, I found the Strictly debate really complicated. So I'm like, well, ballroom dancing is generally between a man and a woman. So mm. why would we co-opt that for the sake of LGBT? plus representation but then actually when they did it with Nick Adams it was fabulous so I was probably wrong on that and I think you know in some formats it fits perfectly first dates I was delighted when that started having gay couples on it because you're like yeah of course why not that's exactly what Sophie was talking about at the beginning which is when you see couples going on dates queer people date pretty similarly to straight people most of the time and it worked perfectly well in the format. Mm. Mm, completely right I think first dates is a really good example of, of a show that, that does this really well 
uh, as as discussed. What about you, Sophie? What what did you think of the of the Love Island debate? I, I agree with Greg that you know that if you think about it, you know, from a production point of view, yes, like you know, there would be some like changes that you would need to make. But I think the fact that you know saying it in you know to, in a public forum that it would present like logistical difficulties, mm. I think that that you know as a queer person that just would make you feel kind of like am I difficult you know like it I don't think that was the right thing to say I think you know you should like resolve that problem you know before you say anything like you know maybe think like okay so am I going to do this or am I not or are you going to make another show you know just with queer people I agree it's it's pretty tone deaf although I have some sympathy having sat on those panels in the past and said stuff and then you guys are lurking out in the background trying to get a headline out of it it is quite a nerve-wracking process yeah Uh, yeah. so it's easy easy to make a mistake the other thing I'd say on this is I, I do think it's really important for gay couples to be integrated into mainstream programs. I think there's a real danger that you fill your gay quota by doing niche programs that only the community watch. And that's sort of, again, back to my initial point, that's not the point of TV. It's about broadening horizons, not catering to little silos, I think. I wanted to talk um, actually on um, lesbian representation quite quickly. And I, it's one thing that I have always really noticed as an audience member that um, it just there's a lot less representation. And like you were saying, uh, Greg, in that ordinary, like into ordinary TV. So I was thinking of like shows like Come Die With Me, or I think even sometimes First Dates falls um, falls to that often, that um, there's definitely uh, that balance isn't quite addressed. And I wondered if um, maybe either of you could speak to that. I would say that's a good point, actually, because I think it is maybe in our kind of you know like on 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 tv that maybe gay men are more represented than gay women and that maybe there needs to be like just a little bit more of of a push there i think that there are some great programs that that you have already for example there's feel good um, with may martin which recently came out which is brilliant you know she's a comedian and then she did the show um and that's all about you know like like two women fallen in, in love um british show um so, you know, I think we just need more shows like that. And I think it's about, you know, commissioners being being open to um, to those stories, which I think increasingly they are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And it, you do struggle to think of examples, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I can never remember the name of the programme with Ian McKenna and Derek Jacoby, but obviously, you know, that's a pure game end show, great show. I can't think of it as being equivalent of that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like, you know, Mira Margulies a national treasure. Why does, why does she not have a sitcom with someone doing a, a lesbian couple? It just it never really happens. And I think that's partly because whilst there aren't as many gay commissioners in TV as you'd think there are as a gay men commissioners in TV, there are even fewer uh, gay women commissioners in TV. In fact, I'm really struggling to think of any. And obviously, I don't know them all. Um, but yeah, which may, and I think ultimately that kind of representation on screen comes from awareness behind the screen, in particular at the commissioning level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's what, you know, ultimately that's how things change, right? You have to have the commissioners commissioning the stuff. And and it's not it's not great having, you know, I can imagine after this, someone listens and needed goes down going, shit, we need to get a lesbian sitcom, <clears throat> which could probably be commissioned by a straight woman or a straight man or a, or a gay man. Well, hopefully this can be the start of something. Fantastic new sitcom. Leading on from that, intersectionality is, uh, is, such a big topic at the moment and we talk about it across all diversity strands i wondered if if uh you feel like tv commissioners have have got to grips with the intersectional nature 
of the LGBTQ plus community? So I think so I think we're making a lot of progress, you know, in in general culture um, in terms of intersectionality. Um, and it's often for kind of like, you know, bigger institutions and things that they, you know, they often need to catch up. Maybe not yet, but I think it's getting there, you know, mm. and I think because because it is like, you know, as you were saying, there's been such a big push in the last six months for that intersectionality in television that really, you know, the, the fact that people are actually really talking about it and really want this to happen is a great thing. Um, and it can only really get better from there. Yeah, I, I, agree. I think it's kind of it's slow, slow progress. But, you know, even the very fact we're recording this podcast shows that there is some kind of progress, right? There's, a, there's an industry-wide magazine. It's a, it's a, TV's a really slow-moving industry, I think, as you can see with, with BAME representation. You know, we've been talking about that for the last 15 years and still not much has happened. I thought, why um, we have you both? I thought it might be nice. I mean, you've mentioned a few good examples, Feel Good and It's a Sin, but I thought if there were any other shows that you guys have been watching lately that you think um, has really nailed it. For me, it would be Pose. Um, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's brilliant in the fact that it's got such a diverse cast and most of them are, you know, most of the cast are LGBTQ plus playing queer characters. It's just brilliantly written and it shows you know it's it's certainly like 80s and 90s um also shows that kind of time and and what like a massive change there was in terms of like you know kind of attitudes towards queer people in that time um mm. so that would be a really like i think that's done it just incredibly it's a brilliant show Mm. that's a fantastic show and i'm so pleased i'm really glad that the uk got to see that show because it's well maybe it's on netflix now but it was on the bbc iplayer for a while it feels like it's really important for the uk to have that window into into u.s culture almost so i think transparent is one that really nailed it you know managed to combine great drama you know just the fact that the character was trans was just part of the setup and it was completely integrated and i thought that was fantastic and it sounds really obvious but the reboot of queer eye um, was done so brilliantly and you know just reminded us you know that talking of that intersection between like, the, the guy who had the skin complaint and, and in the first I think first episode of season one of the new Queer Eye was exactly what we were talking about in terms of people having their eyes open to other spaces and yeah that was properly heartwarming to like oh good he can see that these flamboyant gays actually can sort out his very very straight complicated life and you know that when that came back I sort of I didn't actually like the original that much, but I think this is properly fantastic and really just, you know, as I open the eye, admittedly not to a fairly stereotyped world, but opens the eyes to how different personalities can interact. And I th that was, was bloody brilliant having that back. And Boy Meets Girl a couple of years ago on BBC Two was just a really heartwarming, brilliant sitcom that happened to have a trans character at the heart of it. Um, and that, again, that was in terms of making people realise that queer people aren't as different as you might expect that did a brilliant job of it and i think did really well as well it's really well made comedy great stuff well look thanks so much greg and sophie it's been it's been really interesting to hear you guys to hear you guys talking about this stuff uh, of an uh, a topic that probably doesn't get as much airtime as it deserves really as as we push on and, and continue to immerse ourselves in this wider diversity debate uh so thank you so much it's been a pleasure no, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for taking both our comment pieces and doing this as well. You know, it's actually you're, you're really doing a bit. Our pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Broadcast News Wrap. I'm Max Goldbart, 
and you've been listening to Greg Sanderson, Sophie Bernberg, and my colleague, Hannah Bowler. You can check out all 47 past episodes of the News Wrap on Spotify and iTunes, or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.